Empire. The flame of helping athletes with sports tech was lit a generation ago. So I developed it first back then for 2D video, and it was mostly 2D, and like I said, the problem was that it took so long. Then the next motion capture system I developed basically was a three-dimensional analysis system and started using reflective markers, and now it's much more automatic. That's Dr. Phil Cheatham, the Director of Technology and Innovation at the United States Olympic Committee. Wait until you hear what's being used now as American Olympians get ready to vie for gold in Japan. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. We are officially less than one year away from the Summer Olympic Games in the Far East. Dr. Phil Cheatham was an Olympian himself in the 1970s, and he's going to tell you about his journey to becoming one of the major innovators of athletic training through the decades since. It'll be also that every four-year opportunity for sports like rowing to showcase themselves on a world stage. Bruce Smith is working with our athletes in that discipline, and he'll discuss his Olympic past as well and his new high-tech training machine that's looking to take a run at the likes of Peloton in the high-end exercise market. But first, let's talk big picture with Dr. Phil Cheatham. Put aside the politics, there's a lot of national pride in athletics recently. The U.S. women's national team won the World Cup, and next year in Japan, soccer team and all the athletes that are representing the country will meet for the Olympic Games. And Dr. Phil Cheatham is at the forefront of helping them reach peak performance as the Director of Technology and Innovation for the U.S. Olympic Committee. Hi, Dr. Cheatham. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. How are you doing, Bob? Good. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do with the USOC? Yes, I'm the Director of Sport Technology and Innovation. And what that means is my job is to discover and find new technology that we can use to help improve performance and reduce injuries in our athletes. So basically any new technology that's going to be helpful to the Team USA, um, I'm examining it and seeing how impactful it's going to be. Can you give us some examples of some of those technologies that you have worked with to help the athletes? Oh, yeah. Um, there's, there's a whole, I like to think of it as, as a whole um, data technology continuum, if you like. Uh, we start at the field of play at the training and the competition area. Then we go to, you know, the storage of the data. That's firstly on the field of play. We capture the data, and then we take it up to the, the cloud, store it, and analyze it. Then we feed it back to the athletes to display it, and then they use it to help implement changes in their training program. So it's kind of a, a flow all the way from the field of play all the way back again to, to training. And uh, there are different technologies at each stage in that flow continuum. Uh, for example, on the field of play, we use a lot of video, we use motion capture, we use sensors, uh, wearable sensors, radar, drones. Um, I can dig into each one of those and give examples along the way. Um, and then the cloud services, of course, the data storage, the athlete management systems. Then we use AI and, and machine learning to try and figure out the important. Well, I should say that's where we're heading. We're not doing it yet, but we're heading there with the AI. 
to help find out the key performance indicators and the risk analysis. Uh, and the biggest part, in my opinion, is the implementation of what we found with the technology. Catching data for data's sense, for data's sake, is, is kind of a waste of time. You've got to make sure that you implement it. So how we feed it back, how we uh, indicate the corrections, how the coaches design the exercises and drills, and how it's incorporated into their strength and conditioning. And there's technologies on that side that we're using, and virtual reality is a is a really good one right there. So there are, there are many uh, good examples. Um, let's go back to the motion technology. A, a lot of different leagues are, are using it. There are a lot of companies out there that have created this. Basketball has had a lot of, um, of interesting innovations there. How are you guys utilizing motion technology? And secondarily to your last point, translating all of the information you receive to help performance, how do you go about that process? Well, yeah, the first question regarding motion analysis, we're on the cusp of a, a paradigm shift in motion analysis. In the old days, we had to put sensors and uh, reflective markers, and it had to be in a controlled lab where the lighting was not uh, changing too much in order to capture the data. Uh, now, luckily, with AI coming on and, and the power of uh, modern-day computers, um, there's pose estimation where basically what that means is the computer can put a stick figure on top of any human figure that it sees. And the benefit of that is now we'll be able to actually get real motion data, such as joint angles and segment angles, center of gravity, speed, velocity, acceleration, by just pointing a camera at the athlete without having to disturb them or, or intervene with their practice session, thereby not interfering with the flow of training. And we can even do that in competition situations. So that's, that's a groundbreaking technology that's uh, coming in. The, I wouldn't say it's here 100%. It's getting close. But definitely in the next year or two, uh, we'll be seeing great strides in that aspect of it. Now, how do we apply that? Well, basically, we've got to get the coach uh, on side there because the coach is the translator. The coach is the filter. Um, we don't want to bamboozle or, or, I guess, intimidate with too much, too much technology and too much science. We want to make it extremely practical. So it literally has to come down to an interpretation into exercises and drills. You can't, <clears throat> excuse me, you can't just tell somebody, hey, uh, change this. It's not very easy in the heat of the actual skill, especially when it's moving very rapidly. So it's up to the coach to come up with very clever drills that implement the changes he wants, he wants to see without necessarily uh, making the athlete cognitively think about it during the execution of the skill. Because in the end, the instincts matter, right? Like, isn't that kind of the point here? The, these are very gifted people who have very gifted athletic abilities, and you don't want to overwhelm them, right? You want to allow them to do what they are kind of naturally born to do. Yeah, well, there's two really, there's two phases to that. I mean, obviously, they're doing something that's not the way you want it to be, so there's a motor pattern that's ingrained, and you have to switch that motor pattern to the correct one. So you can't just do it by saying, hey, change this. They may change it for a little while, but in the heat of battle, it'll just come back again uh, in the heat of competition, basically. So you have to build up incremental drills, and that's a key word, incremental um, you have to start easy, and it has to keep um, heading in the direction that you want it to go. And 
as you know, hundreds and thousands of repetitions are what takes it uh, to be ingrained. So it has to go from the cognitive to the automatic, uh, and that's the trick because it has to be so automatic that even under a stressful situation, the new motor pattern or the correct motor pattern will be the one that prevails. The way these high-level athletes train, you've been doing this and working with them for a very long time. What are the major differences from 10, 20, and 30 years ago? Well, it was very, very difficult and very expensive and very complex and very slow in the old days. Back when I worked at the Olympic Training Center in my first, uh, uh, first stint was from 1982 to 1987, and we just got the IBM PC at that point, you know, and the Apple II, like 64K of memory, and just just really difficult to do anything significant because they still weren't at that, at that level yet. And so now we're based in uh, supercomputers, literally. But back then we were able to do some quite incredible stuff, and uh, it did take us a while. The problem was we used film, so we had to take a day or two to get it developed and then we had to digitize it by hand which means we had to project it onto a screen put the cursor on all the joint centers click to the next image to the next it could take hours to do just one skill and we try and get that to them the next day if there's a camp in town it, it was very limiting now we're to the stage or getting very close to the stage where within 10 seconds of the actual skill we'll have all the data on the screen and they'll have it on their phone um, so it's a huge, huge step, uh, and I think it's a paradigm shift for biomechanics. Biomechanics hasn't done very well in the past 20 years, and I think because the technology hasn't caught up, and I think now it has. Through all of this, um, how has it kind of changed your role in discovery and implementation of technology? You know what? I don't think that's changed that much. I mean, I've always been on the lookout. Uh, for new and, and groundbreaking state-of-the-art technologies. And when you're in the moment, whatever's the newest at the time is the coolest stuff you've ever seen. And so it, it's a matter of perspective, I guess. Um, now, now everything is just moving much, much more rapidly. It's more, I won't say it's more complex, but it's more powerful. And so we are able, we've got more tools at our fingertips. I guess that's, that's the difference. We didn't have as many tools back then. Um, let's go back to motion analysis for a moment, because you did develop one of the first sports motion analysis systems. Um, what could it do, and, and how does it compare to what is happening now? Well, it was a progression. Like I said, when I worked for the U.S. Olympic Committee back in, 19, in the 1980s, my boss, Dr. Charles Dillman, who was the director of the sports science and program back then, said, hey, can we do this that we've been doing with film? Can we do it with video? So I developed it first back then for 2D video, and it was mostly 2D, and like I said, the problem was it, it took so long. Then the next motion capture system I developed basically was a three-dimensional analysis system and started using reflective markers, and now it's much more automatic. The downside of it was it had to be in a more controlled environment, and that was, uh, that was when we formed our own company called Peak Performance Technologies, and then we kept advancing with different motion capture systems one of the most recent ones, well, when I say recent, I guess in the last 10 to 15 years, was an electromagnetic system that allowed us to capture data in real time. By that, I mean the data would flow directly onto the screen, and you could see the avatar producing the skill as the skill was being uh, performed. So that was a huge, huge step. The only downside of that 
is one, you had to put sensors on the person's body, so there was a long setup procedure. And number two, it was wired. It wasn't wireless. And so that meant that the athlete had to be relatively stationary. So it was good for sports like baseball, batting, golf, of course, pitching, anything that was relatively stationary. So what, in, in my mind's eye, in my imagination, what I'm looking for is something that will give me real-time or near real-time data um, without intervening with the athlete. I think that's the key right there. So yeah, I've developed um, three or four motion capture systems from way back in 1980 to, to today. And so I've seen the whole field grow and change. And I'll be honest with you, a few years ago I got relatively disillusioned. I was not particularly impressed with IMUs, that is um, uh, the, the sensors, the accelerometers, etc. They're not that good for, for tracking motion, specifically position. They're really good for accelerations and such, and velocities. Um, and so I kind of got a little bit despondent, but now I'm all jazzed up and excited again because of AI and automatic pose recognition and automatic motion tracking directly from camera. I like to call it the magic camera. You hmm. point it and you get data. And I think that's coming very soon. So that's the AI. What about virtual training, virtual experiences? Where do you see that going? That's at the other end of the spectrum. That's in the end of the spectrum where you're getting the information back to the athlete in the most realistic sense that can be assimilated. So you could imagine the, the avatar that you see on the screen, if you can, and you can now, put that into a, a virtual reality set, headset or even... Um, Augmented reality is good, too, because you still have a view of your surroundings. Um, it, it's just a matter of how vividly can we get the information back to the athlete. I mean, graphs and charts are one thing, but quite often when you're giving a lecture and you're showing graphs and you're showing tables, very quickly you get glazed looks back at you. We need to engage. We need to make the transfer of information just as exciting as going to a blockbuster movie so that you're emotionally moved by it as well as uh, intellectually. One example there of, of technology, virtual reality technology, that we're using for sports psychology is uh, Dr. Karen Kogan is doing work with um, the combat sports such as fencing and the acrobatic sports uh, such as diving and, and gymnastics. She can do 3D, um, not motion capture, but 3D filming and put that into a virtual reality headset so that the athlete can be at the World Championships. They can be at the Olympic Games. They can be at the World Cup. They can be on deck. They can be on the podium. And they can hear the screams and the yells of the, of the crowd. And they can look around. And so it's a, it's a way to mitigate anxiety and get them ready for a competition without them even being at the competition. So that they, when they walk into the arena, they have the feeling, oh, I've been here before. This is not that scary. So this is one way that we can get that information back to them through virtual reality. Uh, you mentioned the use of drones as well. How are they being utilized? Again, these are, these are kind of experiments at the moment, but the most obvious and simplistic use of a drone is to be able to put a camera in a place that's very difficult to put a camera. Uh, and obviously the answer to that is the overhead view. Uh, we've experimented here at the training center with them. We've done it with... Uh, with archery, where we've had them literally flying around in the indoor stadium looking at the archer from all the different points of view. We've also used it with um, 
our track and field athletes who've had some terrific overhead views of the throws, and it's a view that they don't often get. And you can also think of something like, like um, pole vaulting. That is very difficult to get a, a point of view right next to the bar because the bar is up so high. <clears throat> and so the drones help us there. And they certainly help us, too, when we get to the point where we can have several up at once. We get key views. I mean, my image or my mind's eye of the future uh, with drones is basically you have a suitcase, you open the suitcase, five or six drones, you push a button, they just fly up, they go and uh, position themselves in their predetermined positions around the event that you're looking at, and they just automatically film, and then they put themselves back away again. Um, so no tripods, no setting up, it's just automatic. I don't know if you can answer this question, but, but I am curious if there's any specific sports or disciplines um, where you've seen some major change in the way they train and, and performance as we head towards Japan next year. Yeah, no, I, I, would, I would have to agree with your first statement. I think that they're, they're doing the, the same as they do, and, and as they learn, they improve, and they're integrating technology uh, slowly. I mean, the technology is, is go- as I used the word incremental before, technology is incrementally making its way into uh, the daily training session. The biggest advantage we've had recently is, is a camera system that allows us to get multiple views synchronized with one another directly to an iPad. Those sort of things make their way into training rapidly because the athletes really like to look at what's going on from different vantage points. And now in social media, uh, the ability to put three views forward, side, and and back onto one video and put it onto their social media channel really gets the comments coming and uh, gets the discussion going. So I think um, we're seeing it incrementally uh, more and more. Uh, you were an Olympian yourself. You were a gymnast. Um, how did you end up getting into this? Um, well, if you go all the way back, I was just uh, lucky. It was serendipity. I had a, a police boys club one mile away from my house in Sydney, Australia, which is where I grew up. And it just so happened that there was an Olympic coach there who was a two-time Olympian himself. So I went down there to look at all the different sports they had, and I liked gymnastics, so I started training gymnastics. He picked me, put, he put me into his advanced group, and then that was from the, being eight years old all the way through high school, and people just started saying, oh, okay, he's going to be an Olympian just like Benny, his coach. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I can be an Olympian, but my coach is an Olympian. So it was right there. It was right in front of me the whole time. And that's how I got into being a, a gymnast and being an Olympian. Um, at the same time, I was interested in electronics, so I started a... Uh, engineering, electrical engineering degree at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, and uh, progressed through that degree, went to the Olympics in 1976, and then uh, after that I ended up training for the 1980 Olympics by coming to the United States um, and working out on the team at Arizona State University, being an assistant coach there. And what happened, again, a, a piece of serendipity, they had a biomechanics program, and um, being an electrical engineer, I had mechanical engineering uh, subjects. I just never liked them because it was all machines and gears and cogs and levers and trusses and stuff like that, and I thought that was boring. But when somebody told me that I could do all of that same analysis, but with the human body and with my sport, I was all in. So I ended up doing my master's degree in biomechanics at Arizona State, 
And uh, when I finished that, one of my professors happened to be an advisory board member, again, a piece of serendipity, happened to be an advisory board member at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Took us up for a field trip, met Dr. Dillman, and uh, a few months later he offered me a job. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, a lot of interest directly, but a lot of serendipity. And it's worked out. Dr. Phil Cheatham is the Director of Technology and Innovation for the United States Olympic Committee. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Up next, Bruce Smith, Olympic rowing coach and CEO of Hydro. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Let's bring in our guest this week, Bruce Smith, who is the CEO of Hydro, a sleek, modern rowing machine that uses cool tech to help you feel like you're cruising down the river from a home gym. Hey, Bruce, how are you? I am great. Great. Thank you. Can you tell us about the genesis of Hydro? How did it come about? Yeah, you know, I have been a rowing coach for a long time. I coached the U.S. national team. I've been to 10 uh, world championships, and then I spent a few years working at a rowing club that was a nonprofit. And... I became convinced over that over the course of that time that rowing is just this, you know, it's, a, it's amazing. It's the best exercise you can do for your body. There's no impact. There's no, uh, you know, it's a comfortable seat. You can do it at any age. It improves bone density. It uses 86% of your muscles. It's really phenomenal. But just not that many people have access to rowing clubs. So the opportunity to take the sport and take the best parts of the sport and, and share it really broadly with the rest of the world was very exciting to me. Um, and so we decided, you know, with the arrival of some new technology to test the system and, and we can take the experience of you being out on the Charles River or out on Indian Creek in, in Miami Beach and we can deliver it right to your home. And we also created some very cool new technology uh, for the machine itself. So on the Hydro, you have a, a really quiet computer-generated resistance mechanism that is the first of its kind, patent pending. So it's really, it, the goal is to get the experience of rowing to everybody in the United States. I'll get more into the tech in a moment, but your, your background is so interesting. Um, when did you know you wanted to go from coaching this to being an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's kind of, um, it's a little bit the other way around. I started as an entrepreneur, and I, I thought that rowing was really kind of like a waste of time. And <laughs> I did it on the side. You know, I, I tried really hard to make the Canadian national team, and I didn't. And But I just, I couldn't quite get my finger out of it. And so I ended up um, coaching in Chicago. And then, you know, I, I did a startup in 1999 and went through that whole experience uh, and continued to, do entrepreneurial things as I built a couple of boathouses and as I continued on my coaching career and I ended up coaching at Dartmouth for a couple of years and every time I, I tried to quit the sport I ended up back in it deeper and eventually I, I decided I should combine both the entrepreneur thing and and the rowing thing and um, the timing is great because Peloton has done such a great job illuminating this space and, and the opportunity here we, we're really excited about. Yeah, I want to I'm going to get to that um in a moment but while we're talking about um the United States rowing just for a moment since we're, we're all in national pride we just saw our women's team win the World Cup. Um I, I'm asking this I'm, yeah, I, so cool. I, I'm asking this out of ignorance. Is America good at rowing? Or are we good at this? <laughs> that is a really 
That is a funny question. So I'm Canadian, and I have my green card, and I coach for the U.S. national team. And it gets a little bit uh, tiresome to talk about, but there are two ways uh, that you can become a national team coach. You can either get hired by the federation and coach what we call camp boats, or you can go through a trial system. It's a little bit like track and field. You go to trial, and if you win trial, uh, then you become the national team. And so I've coached uh, 10 different crews to 10 different world championships through the trial system. And the United States has the most rowers in the world, but arguably our performance is, you know, it stacks up behind three or four uh, countries like uh, the United Kingdom, uh, Germany, New Zealand, uh, tend to have more medals per number of athletes. Um, and we are chasing those people really hard, and, and I've been really excited to be a part of that effort. So um, let's talk about tech then, as we do try to improve this. What is the tech in this sport that you are excited about? Rowing machines are really, like, they're very simple. You know, they're, uh, they're a resistance mechanism, and traditional rowing machines are like, they're loud, and they were made by rowers for rowers, and they're almost like a, like a character test. Um, they're really boring, you know, they're, and they're kind of loud, and, they, and they're not attractive to look at. So it's, it's like, if you can survive this machine, you can then join our tribe. And to me, that was just crazy. Uh, rowing is, it should be really accessible, and it should be very inviting, because being out on the water is just the most, it is the most just a fabulous experience you get both a whole body workout that gets your adrenaline going and you get this experience of you know being out on a river in a, in a special uh, place that other people don't ordinarily have so there was a huge opportunity to innovate around that the uh, resistance mechanism that we created is is computer generated and it's the first of its kind so the, instead of having a noisy fan we have a very quiet uh, system of uh, magnets that are controlled by a computer program and we can generate any resistance curve that we like using a computer algorithm and so that is is pretty revolutionary in the rowing world um it's old technology but nobody had really taken the trouble to build it out and to create that mechanism so we have a very cool thing it's called an eddy current break and uh, you can't see or hear it and it, it creates a perfect force curve for your body um, tell me about resistance training in this, because again, I'm a, I'm a layman with all of this. Um, we have a rowing machine in my basement, but it's old and it's loud and it's not unlike the things yeah. you do. And it's rudimentary and it's like the things that you have described. And I guess I learned through years, I used to take spin classes. I enjoyed those that you learn about resistance training in that way, which I think led towards the advent of things like, like Peloton. Um, how do you teach yeah. people about resistance training in this sport when it's probably not something that even if people were doing the exercise really thought about that much? So one of the things with rowing is that everybody has everybody like goes running at some point in their life, and most people have ridden bicycles, but not that many people have the opportunity to go out and boat. So there's this natural barrier around rowing machines where people are a little bit comfortable using uncomfortable using them to train and. What we've done is we've, you know, we've solved that whole problem just by putting a screen on it. And every time you sit down on the machine, you have the, a really great athlete who's uh, either training for the Olympics or in, on an athletic journey. And they are teaching you the key things that you need to know about the sport. So you can do, um, you know, I think we have like 600 workouts in our catalog. And every day there are live workouts that come directly to your screen. And, and they tell you everything that you need to know about proper rowing form, and it, it's actually really simple. It's as, it's as simple as one, two, three. But 
being reminded every day and being able to follow. And then the other piece of that is just the sport itself. So rowing uses uh, both your strength system and your aerobic system, and it's perfectly balanced. It's for human beings. It's, it's absolutely the best exercise. It uses 70% aerobic capacity and 30% strength. So it improves your muscular tone and strength, and at the same time, it helps your heart and lungs. So it's the best calorie-burning exercise there is in the world. Um, there's all this advancement. You, you mentioned Peloton um, in this exercise industry. Your company here, there's high-end treadmills now that are very different than the ones that used to be produced in gyms or, or bought for home use. Where is this, this all going? Yeah, that's a, I, we would, um, I would say that the 60 million people who pay for their gym membership um, have a very as soon as they understand the choices that are available, I, th- I think there's a there's a giant opportunity. And of those 60 million people, about 40 million never go to their gym, or they might go, you know, two or three times a year. So they're they're paying for the gym, and they know they should exercise, and they 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 like the idea of it, but they don't have time, and so they they end up skipping their trip to the gym. And and connected fitness solves that problem in a really big way. And our biggest thing, so on the one hand, we have really great tech and really great exercise and a really great experience, but the, the most important part for me is that rowing connects human beings, and it makes you it makes you feel like you're part of a team. And so that fun that you used to have in high school when you played on a, you know, on a, on a sports team, we can actually deliver that to adults in their home because you're, you're competing with people and you're on, on a team in a boat with other people. So that connective experience that you get from the gym, we can actually digitize in a meaningful way. And it's not like a it's not a 100% match, but it is pretty compelling. And when you add in the cost savings and the time savings and the convenience and the fact that your whole family can use it, we think that connected fitness is really, um, it's only going to grow. And it's uh, not just an American thing, but a, but a worldwide opportunity as well. As you are putting people in, in these kind of virtual teams, do you want this to be a competitive experience? Yeah, we, uh, we I'm, I'm obviously like a little bit insanely competitive. <laughs> I, you know, I, I take athletes to the world championships and we're trying very, very hard to win. Um, we call it competing with, not competing against. And it may sound like a little bit subtle, but it's really not. Rowing is one of those activities that you, you move in perfect synchronicity with the person in front of you and, and behind you. And so there's an amazing team experience to be had when you follow the rhythm of somebody else. And that's actually what you get on a hydro because you're following exactly with the athlete on the screen. So you, you experience the rhythm of being on the water. And the joy of all that is that you're competing with other people, you know, who are who are just like you. And so it's a group of it's a group of your friends, a group of your peers, and you get to have their their performance as your motivation. And it's really a gift, you know, it's it's a it's a hugely connective thing. It's not so much about squashing the person behind you as you give them your best performance and they give you uh, their best performance and in that way everybody gets better. And it's it's um, it's a phenomenal experience, and uh, that competing with piece we think is just uh, it's really 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 important. It's also like if you want to build a better society, like I'm a huge fan of competition, I'm a huge fan of capitalism, but we want it to be a positive experience for everybody, and we want people to feel the responsibility to a, a broader group so that we're able to make better decisions overall. One of the one of the most fun parts of the company is that for every 60 
workouts that one that a hydronaut does, we make a contribution that provides uh, lifetime safe drinking water for somebody in a place who doesn't have that right now. That's cool. Do you guys use anything like wearables at this point to monitor performance or recovery or any of those type of things that go along with modern exercise? There's a huge, you know, the quantifiable self is really, really fascinating for us. And we have um, a plan to add in the heart rate monitor system to our machine. So you'll be able to use your regular heart rate uh, chest strap and that'll hook directly into the system and we'll track your performance. There are also some very, very cool sensors out there that monitor oxygen utilization in muscles. Um, I use them with elite athletes, and they are uh, extremely well-suited for just like regular people as well because they give you a very accurate um, guide for how intense your workout should be. So if you give me 20 minutes and I can get you to work out at the right intensities, then it's like working with the very best trainer in the world. And with those sensors that we're going to be introducing in the next year, it's um, it's going to have a, an even uh, more powerful impact on people's lives. And, you know, the, the other, the flip side of that is privacy. And um, our commitment is that we will never share your data with anybody without your explicit uh, direction to do so. So all of the data that you collect over time is an amazing motivator, an amazing tool to understand your progress, uh, but it's, it's only yours and it belongs to you, not to anybody else. Um, I've been on a Peloton. I've seen your machine. It's amazing looking. And um, you know, obviously the screen changes the experience of the rowing machine. It gives you the opportunity to, to put yourself in this place. The next step logically seems to be that there would be a virtual experience. Do, do you envision that for your company or other exercise companies where there's goggles involved and you're literally in an immersive experience? Yeah, have you been talking to the head of our concourse here? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm an advisor yeah, now. I'm on the board of directors now. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh, yeah, so of course, you know, Magically is dumping so many resources and there's so many smart people thinking about uh, augmented reality. And you've also got 5G, which is happening uh, gradually over, excuse me, across the United States. So the convergence of those two things is going to let us deliver a live experience that will absolutely blow your mind and i don't want to say any more than that about it right now but it is um, of course something everybody's talking about and live outdoor reality uh was a tagline that we chose um with the full intention of delivering an experience that extends beyond a two-dimensional screen all right last thing for you and i I know you made the comparison to gyms and gym prices um Clearly, this stuff, though, is not inexpensive. So let's talk about affordability just for a moment for the average person to get into any of these types yeah. of machines. Like, what is your thought process moving forward about making this affordable? So we have built the most beautiful and best uh, rowing machine that we could. And it costs uh, $21.99. You can buy it over time. And it'll be a little bit less than $100 a month, which is pretty reasonable when you compare it to uh, certainly the, the cost of like a high-end gym. Um, you can go to a, a less expensive gym for a lot less. In terms of relative value, it's so much cheaper than a couple classes or I guess three classes, uh, you know, three classes a month and you've got the, the price of your machine and, and membership at home, which your whole family can use. So it's pretty cost efficient from that perspective and long-term we definitely see ourselves introducing uh, additional machines that will be 
uh, even more accessible from a financial perspective. Bruce Smith is training some of the best rowers in the world. He's also the CEO of Hydro. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks very much. Great to talk. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. 